we'll just start with roll call first without starting here. Lucy, I'm sorry. Lucy Angel? Present. Neha Banger? Present. B. Frank Walker? Richard Harvey Jr.? Loretta Mallon? Eric Murphy? I'm here. Mark Smith? Here. Ali Yassin? Here. We have a quorum? Um, so I, I guess I can go ahead and start the meeting uh, and then have hopefully a few other people can join us. So we will call the meeting to order at 5.38 p.m. Okay, I'm in now. Hello, everybody. Oh, hi, B. I'm sorry. It's taken, for some reason, it didn't download for me. Yeah, we had a few issues with some folks, including myself. <laughs> How is everybody? Okay. Oh, did you start uh, the meeting? Yes, I just started. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. No worries. Nice I'll to just have, have to listen. <laughs> okay, hi everyone. Welcome to our November um, meeting. Um. So we just did roll call. Um, we have a quorum, um, and I'll start by doing the board chair report. Um, so I have a couple of items. Um, Brenda, did you get my picture? Yes. You want me to share it? Sure. Okay. Um, first, I just want to start on a light note. I uh, just hope everyone had a good month. Um, I think this is the part of the agenda meeting where I get to share something. Um, we don't see it yet, Brenda. <laughs> I am suspicious. How about now? <laughs> oh, there we go. Uh, oh, I just sent, so, it's just a cute picture of my little baby. <laughs> oh, I'm missing that. that. adorable. <laughs> so big. We saw him. It was so tiny. Oh, no. I know. She's seven <laughs> months old now. She had her first Halloween slash. It's also her grandfather's birthday and Halloween. So, we got to see him for the first time since she was born. Oh, that's um, I can't so. see her. I know, I know. Neither can oh. I. Oh. oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, anyway, that was that was my chair, uh, part of my chair report. Um, <laughs> no worries, we can come up with the materials for those of you, so you'll get her in your email later. Yes. We'll send you the good news. <laughs> if, you, uh, if you have cute pictures to share with the group in the future, please send them to us, too. <laughs> I think it's a great way to start any meeting. I'll just find <laughs> cute photos of sheep on uh, on the internet. 
that's what I do to keep them. Yes. <laughs> I'm keeping my life uh, less stressful right now. So. <laughs> great. Okay. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. We'll move back to that. That's adorable. <laughs> Um, Brenda, can we go back to the main agenda page, please? Can you see it? Thank you. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Brenda. Um, oh, yes. Before, uh, the other thing I did, going, moving on to more serious items. Um, so I did want to announce that uh, last month, uh, Derek did... Um, Derek Sue uh, did resign from the board um, due to personal reasons. So, just wanted to extend our appreciation for, you know, his contributions during the last over over a year now, um, and uh, kind of wish him well uh, on his endeavors. Um, um, yeah, and we will be continuing the process of. Um, you know, looking and onboarding new members, um, you know, as we move forward. Send them our best. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, okay. And then uh, I guess I'll move on to the next agenda item. Um, so just the uh, agenda consent. Um, so can I, uh, unless there's any objections, um, can I get a uh, motion to approve the minutes for October 13, last month's meeting agenda item, or meeting, meeting minutes, sorry? I so move. Thank you. Can I get a second, please? I second the motion. Thank you. And so we'll approve the meeting minutes for October 13, 2020. Thank you. Moving forward, um, um, this is uh, uh, will require an action. So um, can I get a motion to begin discussion on nominations for chair and vice chair for 2021. I believe we need a motion to begin this discussion on this item. I make a motion that we start the discussion for nomination of members for the board. I, I second. Great, thank you so much. And um, Alex, will you lead us in this discussion? Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank Thanks you. for joining us. Uh, hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so, you know, I remind everyone that pursuant to Article 8 of the Co-Applicant Board Bylaws, we have to nominate officers uh, during the November regular CAP meeting. And as you know, the elections, the board will have an opportunity to vote uh, the individuals that either self-nominate or are nominated for the following positions. Uh, chair of the co-applicant board and uh, by shared also as a reminder the terms usually start January 1st and will terminate on December 31st so 
for this year, this term will end effective December 31st. So now here's what we can do. Uh, I know that last year we uh, gave those individuals who were interested in self-nominating an opportunity to sort of explain the reasons why, uh, you know, they would like to be a chair or a vice chair. And, I'm, you know, I, I think it would be great for us to do it again uh, to the extent that we have uh, CAP members who are interested on those positions. We are also leave it open for any other CAP members to nominate one of, you know, a colleague of, uh, within the CAP for either of those positions. So I'll start by asking uh, within our co-applicant board, do we have anyone that wants to self-nominate for the uh, chair position? Okay, hearing none, <laughs> do, do I have anyone that would like to nominate themselves for the vice chair position? I can I'll self-nominate for the vice chair. Okay. Great, thank you. And now we'll ask the same question about any CAP members, would you like to nominate any of your uh, co-applicant co board members for the chair position? Um, this is, yeah, I would like to nominate Niha to the chair position. Okay, very good, thank you. Any other nominations? Um, I'd like to nominate two people. Is that allowed? Or <laughs> just one? <laughs> uh, sure, you can do two. Uh, I'd like to nominate Loretta and Lucia for the chair position as well. Okay. All right, let's see. Lucia, okay. Very good. Uh, do we have any other nominations for the chair position? Okay. Hearing none, do we have any nominations for uh, the vice chair position? This is Lucia. I'd like to nominate Eric to the vice chair position. Okay. Do we have any other nominations? I'd like to nominate B for the chair position. No. Oh, uh, chair. No, I think I hear it. Sorry, no. the vice chair position. I think I heard a no, no so no, thank we'll you. leave it at that. I, I decline. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that has been declined. Okay. I'm doing this the tough way. I'm on the phone and I have part of you on my computer screen, so. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have any other uh, nominations for VP? I mean, vice chair. Hi there. So we we couldn't hear you. Do you mind repeating that again, please? I'm oh, sorry. So I had a, a call. Try to come in. So I just want to clarify: the vice president, uh, um, vice chair comes in if the uh, the chair is not present. That is correct. But you also, you know, Buster's works, uh, you know, along the side with the chair of the co-applicant board uh, in several different endeavors. But yeah, when the, the, the chair is absent, then generally the Buster steps in uh, to, uh, you know, uh, take part of, the, I mean, I guess to 
conduct the uh, regular co-applicant board meetings. Okay, because my only reason I'm hesitant is or slow to respond is uh, my schedule. I'm not always able to make it early, so I don't want to be holding up a meeting that should start on time because of my work schedule. So, Sure. No, thank you for sharing that, uh, Eric. So why don't we do this? Let me start. We'll start with the uh, chair nominations. And please let me know if you're interested, if you accept the nomination, then we'll give you an opportunity to explain why you would like to be the chair, and then we'll segment into the uh, vice chair position. So what I have for nominations for chair, Niha uh, was nominated, uh, member Banger, uh, also CAP member uh, Medellin, Loretta Medellin was also nominated, and also was, you know, our current chair, uh, Lucia Angel. So now, starting with CAP member Banger, you accept the nomination. I do. Thank you for the nomination, Lucia. Thank you. What about uh, member Medellin? Do you accept the nomination? Can you repeat that phone just went up? Oh, yeah, you know, so, so uh, I just realized uh, member Loretta Medellin, it's actually not in the meeting, right? Correct. Right. Not here. Okay. Oh. So we'll send her a note after the email, and we'll ask whether or not she's interested, and if she is, we'll give her an opportunity to uh, – you know, explain to the co-applicant board why she would like to pursue to the extent that that's what she wants to do. So we'll put a question on that for now. Uh, current chair, uh, Lucia Angel, would you like to accept the nomination as chair? I am actually going to decline. I'm going to take a little break from chairing and hopefully give someone else an opportunity. Um, yes. Thank Not you. a problem. Thank Appreciate you. it, though. Okay. Thanks, Lucia. If it is a bit of a challenge in uh, involving Loretta in the process today, then I can uh, rescind the uh, rescind the nomination as well. It just depends on what process. Uh, yeah. No. So, so I think the way we, what, what we will do, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll give you an opportunity to explain why you would like to, uh, you know, be the chair of the co-applicant board, and then. We'll ask Loretta if she's interested and accepts the nomination. And if she is, then at the next meeting in December, uh, we'll give her an opportunity to sort of tell us why she would like to uh, be the chair of the co-applicant board. And then immediately after, then the rest of the board will get to vote on you know who will be elected for that position. Uh, but before we get uh, you know started on on, on, the, on the little speech. Uh, I do. So the only nomination that we have for, well, we have two nominations now for the vice chair, and one of them is uh, trust, uh, a trustee, <laughs> cab member Panger. So my question to you is, do you accept that nomination? <laughs> um, I don't know what to say. I, I did nominate myself. Uh, well, I mean, I can, I, we can leave it because we don't know what. Uh, you know, Loretta will will want to do as well. So, okay, and uh, and then okay. So we'll say I'll take that as a you accept the nomination, self nomination. So yes, uh, and then 
Eric, uh, you were also nominated for vice chair. Do you accept that nomination? Um, I will actually uh, pass uh, uh, um, uh, allow um, Neha if she wants to take that position. Um, I rather that <laughs> if there was another <laughs> vice chair, I'd be happy to take that position. Okay.
possible because, you know, one, one of the first things that we will have to do at the next meeting will be the, uh, the co-applicant board will have to vote, although we are carving out a little bit of an exception uh, to the extent that uh, trustee, uh, trustee uh, member Medellin decides to accept the nomination, then she will have an opportunity to, uh, you know, pitch why she would like to be the chair of the co-applicant board. Yeah, then I personally have no questions at this time. Thank you, Mark. All right, hearing the, there are no questions, we can go ahead and uh, move on to the next agenda item. I do will remind everyone again that at the next meeting as the first item, uh, the, uh, the, the, the co-applicant board will get to vote on who will be uh, become the chair and vice chair of the co-applicant board next year, so. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, um, Alex, and everyone for the nominations and exciting um, planning next year. Um, okay, so we'll move forward to our next uh, agenda item, which is our medical director report uh, with Dr. Francis. Thanks so much. Um, just want to take the chance to you know, formally thank Derek uh, Sue again for his service. He's a really um, passionate advocate and I think uh, just had a really deep knowledge and understanding from a perspective that's really valuable. And so uh, just, you know, wanted to share my appreciation for his, uh, for his service on this board and then thank uh, Lucia beyond, you know, sharing the picture, which was awesome. <laughs> um, just really being a, a, a supportive chair and, um, you know, leaning in with, with me and Heather and on, uh, you know, any challenging discussions that we've had or any situations that come up. We'll talk about the Board of Trustees update today, but just feeling like I can reach out to you and, and talk to you in between meetings has been uh, really fantastic as well. So appreciate your service this year. And I know there's still there's still a little bit more to come before you hand the rollover, but I uh, wanted to say that. Um, in terms of the report, I just wanted to, um, you know, uh, do our usual presentation of what's happening with coronavirus and then um, do my best to update you on what's happening with the Alameda Health System Board of Trustees, which is quite a lot. Um, so we can start with the coronavirus update. You can go to the next slide. And this should be pretty um, familiar with you all. Um, so we're really on about the same pace as of a week ago that we've been for the epidemic overall, uh, 161 cases total. Um, slightly more sheltered than unsheltered. Um, and um, we've had 63 responses to outbreaks that you know, trigger an environmental scan of a place where we have a new case and, um, and a really formal effort to figure out what kind of transmission is happening and then interrupt any ongoing transmission. Um, and you know, this is now um, weeks in, and I think we're still at about the same rate of a couple open outbreaks that are happening, you know, any, on any given week, either at an encampment or a shelter, um, and, um, and really being able to kind of systematically assess the situation and, 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 um, and, you know, ensure there's no ongoing transmission and then close that investigation and move on to the next one. So I think the county has been doing a really fantastic job kind of continuing some of the systems that, that we set up uh, in partnership with them early on. And uh, we're really not seeing, you know, any tremendously different um, differential effect of coronavirus on the homeless community versus uh, versus the rest of the community in Alameda County. 
can go to the next slide. Um, this is familiar as well. Um, I think we've, we've been showing the steady increase in safer ground occupancy. We're now at 978 of 1,000 rooms occupied. There are some other um, resources that are available that sort of fit the same criteria. Safer ground is, again, for people who um, have medical illnesses or are older, and that puts them at higher risk of um, medical complications from coronavirus. Um, and so, um, you know, since April, we've been able to move uh, a thousand households into into housing over the course of this uh, this pandemic. Next slide. This shows um, operation comfort capacity, and you can see those big bumps in May and August where um, moving people into operation comfort, which is the hotel that's used for isolation or quarantine for folks who either are infected and we want to remove them from the situation they're in to keep them from infecting other folks or people who have been exposed um, and are contact with someone who's been infected and we remove them to see if they're going to develop symptoms and keep them from transmitting. Um, the, those two big bumps happened when we had to clear out uh, facilities in our, in our community. Um, and uh, you can see that over the last six weeks or so, uh, since mid-September, there really hasn't been any any large movement like that, and we're really down at around like under 20% of capacity for the for the isolation and quarantine capacity. So I think that just speaks to the um, the fact that we do have some ongoing surveillance in place, and and um, and we're really not seeing any and and a lot of ongoing prevention efforts. So we're really not seeing any sort of massive outbreaks where we need to uh, where we need to move people really quickly. Um, into operation comfort and and um, I think just again to the to the smoothness of the operation at this point um, so uh, as you know I, I don't have much of a specific update next time other than to say the uncertainty continues around what's going to happen with COVID-19 housing um, you know, we did report at last meeting that 105 units at the Comfort Inn are going to be converted from COVID isolation quarantine housing to permanent supportive housing, and that um, that planning for that conversion is underway. Um, and then we have a communication in the last couple of weeks from Healthcare Services Agency that has said that Safer Ground is, quote, winding down, um, and new referrals are no longer being accepted. There is an enormous wait list already um, for Safer Ground, and there's not a large amount of turnover um, for you know, people who are um, at high risk of complications of COVID who are in those sites right now. There are a few folks who've been able to move from there to other permanent housing, uh, but for the most part, um, you know, the vast majority are staying in place there. And so there's not really new capacity that's being created and there's not a lot of turnover. So that full waiting list in combination with the fact that the program is winding down, I think it makes sense not to take any new referrals um, but certainly um, it leaves us all wondering, you know, knowing that uh, FEMA funding will expire as of, as of the end of the year um, without any uh, at least publicly announced um, plans from the federal government to, you know, figure that out before the, the new administration. Um, and not a lot of information that I've been able to find on the California website about what's happening uh, at the state level. And I think, uh, you know, I don't, I think without that happening, we can't expect the county officials to, to give us much more information about what's happening. So, um, you know, we're coming close on a time where we have a thousand households who are in housing 
that doesn't have a identified funding source to support that housing. And um, that's that's all that I can report um, based on you know what I've what I've been able to find out so far, um, which is obviously a big concern. I think, as I said before, we've demonstrated that um, when we can you know identify housing and have funding, um, we absolutely can move people in very quickly and uh, achieve really good results. And so I think uh, it is um, you know it's it's uh, very hard to just kind of sit in the uncertainty of not knowing if we're going to be able to maintain some of that uh, work that we're really proud of doing in this community over the last six months uh, moving forward. And obviously, um, you know, knowing knowing that uh, this is still uh, a really critical uh, need in our community, whether, whether there's funding for it or not, uh, we have thousands of people beyond those at Safer Ground who are at high risk of complications from COVID. And the, um, the you know, COVID transmission has by no means stopped in our community. So I'll pause there just for questions about the coronavirus response before, uh, or any discussion before moving on to talk about the Board of Trustees. I'm, I'm sorry, what you, uh, could you repeat that last part, Damon? I'm just gonna say, I just said I was gonna pause to answer any questions or entertain any discussion about coronavirus uh, among the unhoused population before moving on to talk about the Board of Trustees. Okay, um, I I did have uh, maybe one or two questions. One one of them is uh, you were speaking about the two big bumps that occurred, and I was just wondering, um, do you have any um, do you have any statistics as to um, how many people um, that involved um, that were involved in those spikes that uh, might have been uh, for various reasons uh, had to be hospitalized. Oh, you can go back to the slide there. Um, I don't have I, I can't, any. I can't. I can't see the slide. That, that's the. Oh, it doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, I don't have any hard numbers on that. Those spikes are um, that I was referring to are spikes in the occupancy of Operation Comfort, and they were primarily COVID-negative people who were exposed to coronavirus and wound up being negative for coronavirus. Um, so most of them weren't even infected, let alone at risk of hospitalization. Um, oh, okay. And we've had pretty small numbers uh, overall of those who've um, had to go from Operation Comfort, who've been infected, who've had to then go on and be and be hospitalized. Um, I and, don't have any hard numbers on that. And my other question is, um, um, are there uh, any stats being kept as to uh, people who might have passed away from COVID-19 that were at one point or another in Operation Comfort? Uh, I don't believe that those statistics are being kept. Um, yeah, I don't I don't believe that the county is, is keeping those statistics, and I think it would have to be them uh, because I think they're the only ones that have access to the data elements that you would need to be able to, to do that count? Okay. And I don't. I don't believe they're doing that right now. Okay. Damon, I had a question. If if, uh, if there aren't any others waiting in the wings. Oh, um, actually, can I ask one more question? Um, you were re referring to um, the waiting list. Uh, for people to get into Operation uh, Comfort, and uh, as you were saying, there was 
not a lot of turnover. Um, and the fact that funding is ending um, until uh, we have an answer uh, in the future about funding, uh, what, if any, um, triage that can be done regarding the people who are on the current waiting list? So the, um, the um, waiting list is safer ground. There's no waiting list for Operation Comfort because it's really dependent on people who, at this moment in time, um, either require isolation because they're infected with coronavirus or quarantine because they've been exposed to someone who's infected with coronavirus. So the waiting list is for states that I was referencing is for safer ground, which is oh, the population of folks who are at higher risk of COVID who we want to um, give a safer place, the safer ground, to stay where they're at reduced risk of getting infected in the first place and then they wouldn't um, be at high risk of having complications. Um, that... Uh, that waiting list is, uh, I'm not sure exactly how it's prioritized. Um, I think um, it, it, it I, I, I actually, I'm not sure what the prioritization of, uh, of people on that waiting list is. I have to, I would have to refer back to the county website to make sure that I'm clear on the latest uh, criteria. So I won't, I won't say anything about that. Okay. Uh, I think in terms of, you know, there are many referral providers, for example, Alameda Health System, we refer, we've referred, I think, over 30 people to Safer Ground. Again, many more people who are staying there are already our patients as well. Um, and uh, we um, really dynamically, you know, our, our um, complex care management team looks at the waiting list. And uh, when spaces become available, um, really try to figure out, you know, what's, uh, what, what, how can we make the use of the space um, the work that serves the health of the population on the waiting list the best. And so if we have someone who, for example, is you know, going to need a surgery soon or something like that, um, that might move them earlier on the wait list. Um, but it's not, it's not necessarily a, a formalized sort of criteria that we're using internally either. Okay. Um, I had a question for you, Damon. Uh, I was wondering what... Are there any wraparound services specifically focusing on rehousing efforts for people who will be losing their housing at safer ground? There already are efforts working on helping people move from safer ground to permanent housing. Um, so those are likely the same organizations. You know, Upwood Services. Um, I mean, you know, operates. Uh, the first safer ground site, there are other organizations, uh, names I'm blanking right now, that operate some other safer ground sites. Um, all of those organizations have some amount of housing navigation that's tied to, um, to the safer ground sites that's working on finding housing opportunities for people who are already there. So that work is, is in progress um, already. So the main concern is the people who would have been on the wait list that, that are not sort of are they receiving the same rehousing services that people who are already at Safer Ground receiving? I think the pace is another concern. So people who are already at Safer Ground um, are, you know, uh, they're working with someone and they're, they've, you know, they've started something, but it's not necessarily going to be, you know, a thousand units of additional housing available at the moment that yeah. this thousand unit um, closes down. And I think the, the housing units um, often drive the, as you can see from these graphs, that the availability of units really drives the pace of, of movement. Um, absolutely, it's 
really critical to have housing navigation and support services. I think sometimes you hear the narrative, you know, from people, um, it doesn't matter, there's no housing. That's not true at all. Um, housing navigation does matter and does work, but it's at a much different pace than, you know, when it has housing available, <laughs> you know, it's, it's much easier to navigate someone than not. So it's, it's an issue for, for all folks involved. People who are on the waiting list um, still have a, available our coordinated entry system in the in the community, which is you know the system that coordinates all of the HUD funded housing and some additional housing, and has a prioritization scheme and really has some coordination mechanisms. Um, everybody who's in safer ground is is brought into that system, and then folks on the waiting list. Um, in our system, we have a new hire on our complex care management team at Alameda Health System that is working to make sure that we're you know maximizing um people's um participation in the other existing housing programs that are outside of the COVID program programs who are on this wait list as well um but again you know i think the 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 pace of movement is really um is you know is really going to be dramatically slower without without having this resource yeah thanks thanks Amy. so I think we can go ahead and move to the Board of Trustees unless there are any other questions. So the first piece of good news is uh, that the Board of Trustees approved the FY21, the fiscal year 21 budget for um, Alameda Health System on October 22nd. Um, that includes uh, $1.1 billion in operating expenses for Alameda Health System overall. So just give you guys a sense of the size of this operation and, you know, we're we're a small sliver of that, um, but small but mighty sliver of that. Um, the the budget fully funds the homeless health center budget that was approved by this co-applicant board in our July 2020 meeting. So we can consider our budget through um, through uh, December of 2021 to be um, to be you know essentially agreed upon by the board of trustees as well um, at this point in time. Um, in the budget documents and in the budget approval process, um, our staff projected significant challenges, um, both meeting prior year financial obligations and challenges with funding critical capital expenses. Um, and those challenges are likely to affect our homeless health center strategic planning. So as you all know, you know, we're subject to Alameda Health System as a whole, the, the big we um, is very subject to um, uh, supplemental funding that has sometimes complex, you know, rules and regulations behind it, and sometimes the reconciliation of how much money was supposed to have been paid. And you can stay on this slide. Um, um, was actually paid, and then we need to actually make a make a payment at a later date. And so um, we, it's really hard to specifically project when those types of payments are going to come due and how much they're going to be. Um, you know, often they, they involve the state and, and state processes. So for example, in the federally qualified health center world, when you set a rate for your, that you would bill for, bill Medi-Cal for a visit, um, the state audits that rate sometime over the next three years. And then um, says, we agree or we disagree with your rate. And they come back to you and say, oh, we actually owe you more money or, you know, rarely or, um, you owe us more money um, sometime in the next three years. 
and you don't know when that's going to happen. And, um, and so that's the type of thing that's happening across our system outside of the scope of the homeless health center. But those supplemental dollars are often, um, are often used across programs in our institution. And so um, when, you know, we have obligations that come due, um, you know, it's, it's unclear how those follow-on impacts, you know, are going to affect uh, other budgets within our, within our system. Um, and then obviously, you know, we have a lot of what, what was cited in the documents as well was a lot of deferred maintenance. Um, a lot of capital expenses, you know, additional investment that could be used, for example, in technical systems beyond just the sort of bare bones of EPIC, um, you know, physical structure, machines, uh, things like that that we need that we have a lot of deferred maintenance on and we have a lot of needs for capital um, that, you know, we can't have, we don't have a line of sight right now to how those needs are going to be funded. And I think we're required as a, as a health center board to do strategic planning that includes an evaluation of capital spending. Um, for example, you know, is there a need out there for a new clinic or a clinic that specifically serves people experiencing homelessness? If so, what are the funding mechanisms that would help us, you know, find that? Those are the kinds of conversations that we're required to have every, every three years and I think we'll be coming up on either, you know, in the next year or the year following that. And I think the, the financial situation of our institution overall is definitely going to affect uh, those conversations. And so that's probably the biggest news around the Board of Trustee passage. It's not necessarily about the budget for FY21, but really some of the accompanying financial analysis in those documents that let us know, you know, we are, we are in a tight spot moving forward, I think, as a, as a, as a homeless health center. And I'll pause there again, actually, for questions and discussion before, because that's a separate item than the next one that's coming, uh, related but separate. Um, can I ask a question? Sure. Um, uh, when, when you said uh, earlier that you were going to be giving a report about the Board of Trustees, um, I didn't realize you were going to be discussing the, um, uh, the, the budget funding that was passed in October. Um, and maybe uh, maybe I'm talking out of turn. Alice can correct me if I am. Um, but I was just wondering, what is the current status of the actual trustees, given the fact that uh, it was earlier, um, I guess a month ago or so, that um, the board was being reconstituted? So that's what I'm going to talk about next. Uh, oh, okay. So I'll, I'll 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 come to that. I'll come to that next. I just wanted to pause and. And talk about the approval, their approval of the budget, um, the, the the past board of trustees, um, before we before we move to what's happened with the actual body itself. Um, speak, speaking of that issue that you just brought up, um, you you were saying basically um, there might be things we uh, are in our budget that we would have to pay for uh, that we might be in arrears, and um, I, if I Correct me if I'm wrong, but you did say that it's unclear as to when uh, we might be asked to pay those uh, pay those obligations. So this is just a general. That was just a general comment on the larger we of Alameda Health System. Our homeless health center budget is fully funded for 2021. Okay. Um, but for the larger we of Alameda Health System, many many of our um, payments that we're due and supplemental payments that we get from different levels of government are 
sort of calculated and negotiated in that way that I gave the example of FQHC payments. Um, and so in general, we're often subject to those kinds of please repay this at a later date and, uh, and, and challenges like that. And so I think those, those challenges that, you know, our financial staff has, has, has done um, what they can do to try to project the best they can, what's coming at us, they don't look favorable in the years ahead uh, for Alameda Health System. And I think that is going to be a challenge for everyone within the system, including, including us within the Homeless Health Center. And I think specifically for this body, the place that will affect what we have to think about is um, when we are required to do our strategic planning, which is a, a HRSA-required um, activity of this board, um, we're going to have to understand things about the system that we're operating in and, and, um, and some of those supplemental payments that may now be used to support some of our work and what the other sort of competing interests are for those um, and, and how it affects our ability to, um, to do strategic planning as a, as a health center. Uh, okay. to the next part and get to your other question there, Mark. Um, so um, as Mark, I think, was alluding to, the Alameda County Board of Supervisors voted on Tuesday, October 20th to remove the Alameda Health System trustees. Um, and they, uh, they, were, they actually also voted that if uh, they voted to send a letter basically asking them to resign, and if they didn't resign, that they would be terminated by November 30th. The existing board did meet on October 22nd and did approve that budget. So that's an approved budget for our institution moving forward. Um, but um, but new trustees um, will be appointed and will begin service by December. So we expect to have a board of trustees meeting in December as far as what I know right now. And um, I think this is a really complex issue. Um, I did cite, um, I think in this, at the bottom of this slide, um, the civil grand jury report and or our response to the civil grand jury report, which goes in detail, uh, into detail on the relationship between Alameda County and Alameda Health System and, um, and it's, you know, 20 plus year, uh, the 20 plus year history of this institution, how it was created. But um, as far as, you know, what the supervisors themselves have said about why they did this was um, that there was eroded trust and damaged relationships with employees and partners. Um, uh, that's that's the, the executive staff and, and the leadership here, the board leadership had with um, employees and partners, and um, that there was a costly strike that they felt was avoidable and unnecessary, and um, that for those for those reasons they felt it necessary to um, to uh, require the board to resign or to be terminated by by November 30th. Um, so we will be in the position in December of uh, of having a new board of trustees. Um, they've also said that, uh, did I have another slide or did I, I'm not sure if I put this in, on the slide. Um, yeah. So, um, the county and Alameda Health System leaders both agree, I think, that a new governance arrangement is necessary. So beyond just seating different people, that the actual structure of, of the board of supervisors and the board of trustees needs to change. And the Board of Supervisors has committed to consult, consulting stakeholders in December and January and recommending a change in governance structure for Alameda Health System by March of 2021. Um, 
some of the some of the findings that Alameda Health System has agreed with following the Alameda County Grand Jury uh, report or that were within the Alameda County Grand Jury report include that Alameda County and AHS must collaboratively resolve how to pay for AHS's long-term debts with the county. So these these issues about um, you know some of the some of the projections around the payments that we are likely to owe uh, over the next few years that um, that we need to be that we need to the grand jury said and our leadership agrees we need to collaboratively resolve the the payments for those with Alameda County um, as well that Alameda Health System and Alameda County agree that the governance structure of AHS is problematic and needs to be revisited and strengthened in order for the parties to better understand and respect each other's governance and operational roles so this was another finding of the grand jury. Um, that um, that our leadership agreed with in our uh, in our response letter um, to the to the civil grand jury, and then I think there's one more slide in this section, just kind of thinking about what this means for us as a cab. Um, so on, in the short term, I think the homeless health center cab is unlikely to be affected. The revised bylaws for the board of trustees that were adopted as part of that board of supervisors motion still don't mean the Board of Trustees meets statutory requirements for a community health center. So a co-applicant board is still required, a co-applicant agreement is still required. There's nothing in what's happening that um, that means that Alameda Health System doesn't require a co-applicant board if we want to remain a homeless health center and if we want to continue to be a federally qualified health center. Um, and I think regardless of the changes to governance, all stakeholders affirm that Alameda Health System is a separate entity from Alameda County, that it is a health authority, that you know, um, established in um, state and county statutes, um, and there are no existing proposals that I'm aware of to combine the two entities. Um, so there's, you know, it's not looking like we wouldn't need a co-applicant board because we're just going to become part of the county, and then you know there would be some other some other governance mechanism that's part of the county. I think um, no no one I've spoken to or heard from, and I haven't seen any any public proposals that that sort of suggests that. Um, the health authority is going away and that Alameda Health System will cease to be a separate institution from Alameda County. Um, so that's a whole lot of complicated stuff uh, <laughs> with a lot of politics and feelings uh, behind it, but I've, I've tried to do my best to, to help relay what I think is important for this co-applicant board to understand, and I'm happy to answer questions. I, I'm really happy that Catherine and Alex are on as well and can respond to any questions that you all have. What are some of the structural readjustments that have been suggested through the grand jury process? The grand jury itself did not make any specific recommendations that I'm aware of um, around structural changes. I think they said it's not this, <laughs> and I think everyone agreed it's not this. But I don't. I don't think um, there's been a lot. The grand jury. Has itself did not make any specific recommendations and the board of supervisors has really pointed to the need for expertise um, so they're bringing in a consultant group um, for stakeholder consultation which um, will happen in december and january and that is a potential short-term impact on this co-applicant board i think um, given that the issue of homelessness is a really important issue in our community and county um, given that this board provides a consumer perspective on uh, governance issues, I think um, 
it would be prudent to you know consult this board in that stakeholder process that's uh, that's coming up and so that may be a short-term sort of impact for 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 you all as, as co-applicant board members um but uh but outside of that you know i, I outside of sort of what the process is going to look like um i haven't seen a lot of structural proposals from from anyone uh, alexander i don't know if you have anything to add about that or or have seen anything that's that's that yeah no unfortunately uh, no i haven't we haven't really seen much and uh, from my recollection is this is something that may potentially be revisited at the march uh pos meeting so uh more to come at this juncture i think i have a couple of questions this here uh even though they didn't make a uh, uh, um clear suggestion or any at all about structural uh, changes. Uh, is there anything in their discussion that may have hinted towards what they may be looking for or um, but just haven't came out directly and said it? Like, was there any signs or hints? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think their, um, their conversation on the 20th you know for those who are interested there was some there was some interesting conversation that's probably worth reviewing among the board of supervisors when when they when they made this vote um and they you know referred to this not being the first time that that we've had challenges like this um that the board of trustees did resign i believe um as a group in the early 2000s um and um and I think just pointed to the need for more closeness. <laughs> I, I think that was one of the general concepts that came up was like, we don't meet frequently enough. We don't, we're not collaborative enough. There's not enough overlap of priorities. There's not enough overlap of information and perspectives. So I think, you know, there, there, there was a sense that they talked about in, you know, the, when, when this split happened in the, in the late nineties, that um, it was a lot to manage a, a county hospital and it was taking up the board of supervisors time and that they they didn't have the time to be the governance body for the hospital themselves and so i think there was a creation of distance you know in part to resolve that like this is a really big thing to manage a 1.1 billion dollar budget in an ever more complicated system but i think now the conversation is coming back to well we still need to be involved in some ways because we have obligations we own the building still um we have financial obligations clearly um you know what what the structure and nature of those financial obligations that the county has the institution i think there may not be a lot of agreement on but i think the county agrees it has financial obligations they funded you know our a large part of our development of the electronic health record for example um so um you know, I think the main theme I heard, um, Eric, was, was closeness and, and and more collaboration. Gotcha, gotcha. I have one more kind of odd, not so odd question related to that. What is the makeup of that board, like in terms of each of the members' background? Um, and I'm just curious, did, did does that have any, like, subtle... Uh, um, uh, possible uh, reasoning behind uh, this disconnect or however they describe it is it um, maybe like they, they have various backgrounds or do they all come from a more similar background that may have effect like the, uh, the closeness or however they classify it? 
Do you mean the Board of Supervisors? Oh, the Board of Trustees. Sorry. Oh, the Board of Trustees. No, I think the Board of Trustees, uh, there are some requirements around representation in the bylaws of the Board of Trustees that Alexander can remind us about, but I generally I would describe them as a fairly diverse body of individuals, some coming with human resources expertise, some coming with public administration expertise, some coming with more healthcare expertise, some coming with more finance expertise, some coming with more community engagement expertise. So it's, our current Board of Trustees is a fairly diverse body and the Board of Trustees that's envisioned is a fairly diverse body. I don't, I didn't hear in any of the commentary and I don't believe that, that the idea was that our current Board of Trustees didn't have the types of expertise needed. Um, I think what I heard um, was that the Board of Supervisors felt that it would be easier for them and better for them and better for the county and better for the institution, in their opinion, to move forward with a different group of people than the group of people that were that were in the seat of the Board of Trustees. Um, but that, that different group of people was not necessarily because this group was too much this or too much that. Gotcha. So I'll leave it there. Um, I think we have another, you know, period of discussion at the end. If people want future agenda items related to this, you know, by all means, uh, let me know. Like I said, a lot of information. And history in both the civil grand jury document, some of the documents that that Alameda Health System has produced, the document that we produced in response to that. I think for the first part of this, the, the budget presentation was really excellent uh, for our Board of Trustees in October in terms of understanding our institution and the finances. Um, so I would definitely refer any interested members there. And as I said, I think this really will have an impact on our strategic planning for the Homeless Health Center. And I do think um, this co-applicant board brings unique strengths to you know, the, uh, to the could bring unique strengths to the stakeholder consultation process around the design of new governance. So, um, you know, for those of you who may be interested in that, that's, I think, something to stay, stay attuned to. Okay, sorry, I couldn't unmute myself. Thank you, Damon. Damon, uh, Francis. Um, I think we can move forward to our program report. Actually, the next item on the agenda is the um, subrecipient agreement preparation, um, but we don't have a document related to it, which is why it's popping up as a document. I think it's what. Um, program report to give you time for that discussion. Um, can we move on to our subrecipient agreement? Great. Oh, so that's what we're on now. Um, and, and I don't have any documents for you. Um, our subrecipient agreement, we've just received the first draft from the county. 
Um, and we are reviewing that draft with keeping in mind the guiding principles that you discussed last time um, during our meeting. And so um, just as a, as a reminder of what those guiding principles are that we discussed, um, we discussed that uh, we wanted to have some flexibility because of the uncertainty. We wanted to talk about a structure or system that included Alameda Health System for any supplemental funding released for the health center by HRSA. We wanted a commitment to identify expansion needs and an ability to advocate for additional support in the future, especially in relationship to the ambulatory homeless health center, and to include a mechanism to monitor population needs and programmatic gaps, for example, through population level RBA as the results-based accountability system. And this would allow us to understand how Alameda Health System contributes to community level results and will help us to plan and strategize together. And um, the other guiding principle was mutual data support to make strategic programmatic decisions, for example, from the community health record. So those were the things that we talked about um, last month, and those are the things that um, Alexander and Damon and I are using to guide us in, the, um, in, in reviewing the subrecipient agreement draft that they've given us. Was there anything else that you guys wanted to discuss or any questions that you had? What are our next steps from the review process from here? Um, thank you so much for asking. That's a great question. So um, I've uh, provided some suggested edits and pass those on to both Alexander and to Damon, and they're doing the same thing, and then we give it back to the county with our proposed edits. They would then determine whether or not they were going to accept those edits or reject them, um, and then they'd give us a new draft. Um, they, they are still hopeful that they would be able to approve the subrecipient agreement and concepts perhaps as soon as their December meeting. Um, I'm not sure that we will make that make that deadline. Okay. Thank Depending you. If they accept our proposed revisions, etc. They will be meeting, um, they meet the third Friday of the month and that is also a public meeting. And again, just as a reminder, um, any of you are welcome to attend that meeting. Um, at any time as a member of the public. And then I, I feel like I'll be the Alexander for a moment. Just remember to speak as yourself as an individual community member and not necessarily on behalf of the board. Thank you, Heather. <laughs> um, I have a quick question. Sure, go ahead, Mark. Uh, yeah, I was wondering, um, um, whatever edits they do or do not accept, um, uh, when, um, when does it, it actually have to be formalized? Um, the, the subrecipient agreement is for the time period of January 1st, 2021 through December 31st, 2021. And so the current agreement will essentially expire on December 31st of this year. I will say historically we have continued our under our agreements even outside of those timeframes. 
in the past, so there's a precedent for taking our time and making sure that we get it right without any um, major challenges. Are there any other questions? Thank you, Heather. You're welcome. Uh, I think we can move forward to your program report. Super. Um, so uh, this month on our program report, we have some health compliance updates. So as we mentioned at the last meeting, we had a monitoring visit on September 11th, and we were accepting, expecting some findings um, and conditions to come back from that meeting especially in regards to some of our reporting capacity. And so I've summarized here in this document the um, findings, recommendations, and corrective actions that Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program has given back to us. Um, so the first one is um, a recommendation, and their recommendation is to provide CAB members with a report of the number of homeless patients who are charged out-of-pocket self-pay on a quarterly basis and copies of sliding fee discount policy signage and notices, including our posting locations on an annual basis so that you can evaluate the effectiveness of our sliding discount policy. Um, so right now, the action, the interim action that we're taking um, as leadership of the Homeless Health Center is to review our reporting capability related to recommendation 1.1, which is the report of, an, of the number of homeless patients who are charged out-of-pocket self-pay. Um, we do need to report the patients who are charged out-of-pocket annually. Yes, so every year as part of our UDS report, that is, that is part of the report. Um, and um, currently, the reporting of that is um, somewhat contingent on the registry which I have more updates on later in this report. So let's move a little bit down to the next one. Um, so then, so that was a recommendation. That was the only recommendation that they have. And again, a recommendation isn't required action, um, but it's just something that they recommend based on their observations. Um, the next section is findings. And findings are um, something where they want us to do something, but it's not the same thing as a corrective action. Um, so one of their findings we had not submitted yet are um, accounts receivable for 120 days. And the reason that we hadn't submitted that yet was because we were still struggling with this registry um, and needing to be able to identify which patients to include on the accounts receivable report. Um, so that, what I will say is they have um, generated an initial report and we were waiting for the registry to be completed before that report can be completed. And the registry was finalized yesterday, um, and so it does take a little time to work with both the registry and the accounts receivable report in order to, to build the report to give the um, Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program. The second one, number two under the findings, is to provide additional details on the $117,000 that was reported in 2019 as self-pay. So again, um, that was what we submitted to them as part of the annual UDS report. Um, and so we have submitted already that based on that request. 
So the request was that they wanted more details, including confirmation that the patients were from the health center, that they were homeless, and that they were screened for financial assistance. And so we have confirmed that the patients were homeless um, and from the health center, and that they received financial screenings when appropriate. There were times when patients did not receive financial um, screenings, and that's because they already had um, health insurance and health coverage. Um, one of the challenging things about um, something that's the, about the self-pay, so self-pay sometimes means that a patient has a co-pay or a share of costs, and so all of those are also included um, as self-pay. It doesn't mean that the patient is not insured or does not um, is not already enrolled in a program. Um, so even in some cases in our charity care program, they're enrolled in charity care at a certain percentage or at a certain rate, and so then that means that they still have some um, accompanying charges that are related to them. So we have submitted that. We did that on Friday. Um, the third action. Um, could, you, could you move the page? Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, is that um, we need to update uh, our a new policies and procedures manual by January 1st of 2021. And so we have at this point requested that of the finance department. The last section is um, corrective actions. So the corrective actions, um, they give us a specific time and date with which we need to complete and, and make correct certain things. So number one, the corrective action number one was to submit and complete patient and utilization data for health center patients to date for calendar year 2020 by November 15th, 2020. And so um, you see in our interim action, I did re prepare this report uh, a week and a half ago or so. So we try to keep it as up to date as possible, but they did initially um, publish a registry on 10-21, but after reviewing that, we determined that we needed to change some of our parameters and the parameters were updated um, and but it was slightly delayed due to an epic upgrade and they were published on 9-2020 which was yesterday and so we have been working with that uh, data uh, since they were published and working with our reports to assess and prepare the data to turn over to the county. I'm expecting that it will be done in time. Um, we do have the initial reports ready, and so right now what we're doing is formatting them to meet the county's requirements. Unfortunately, our system doesn't spit them out exactly the way the county needs them, and um, so it takes a little, a little bit of effort to review them all and also to make sure that they're correct. So that's what we're doing. Um, the other action is to submit documentation showing that the health center program subaward is categorized and labeled accurately. Um, on the previous audit, it was labeled under um, a mental health and AIDS rather than as, um, in its own space, and so we've also made that request to the finance department. Do you guys have any questions about the health center compliance? We have our next compliance meeting on the 20th of November, and that one will be focusing on our clinical, the clinical aspect of the health center. It includes things like credentialing and staffing and um, emergency coverage after hours, things like that. I think one of the requests we had made, Heather, last year was to get, a, I think it was a report every six months on 
what the policy or how the policy was doing. So they are just asking or, or the you know policy of of uh, taking care of payment for people. So um, so I think they're just asking for us to make it quarterly instead of uh, every six months. Is that is that correct? Right, um, and I will say that again, that's a recommendation um, as the CAB, it's, it's your determination how often you might want to approve that information and what works well for you as a, um, what our system is that we put into place. Yeah, I recall that there are, uh, that there's a few months that uh, somebody could be in the system before they they get a bill or they, the, the charges are waived off. I think is it 90 days or so? So it could be a full quarter before that actually a patient's bill is resolved. Is that, is that Yeah. Okay. Um, this is Mark. Uh, just based on what she just asked, um, um, then is it more prudent for us to um, to do it every quarterly or or no? I mean, is there is there any certain prudence in doing it um, 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 in a shorter period, or um, or or take longer to 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 do that? I think my recommendation would be to look at the first one, and then and then to see to have a discussion about the first one and, and see what we're going to use the information to do. Um, and, you know, I, I think either could be reasonable, but I think we'll have, we'll have a better understanding once we see the information. Sorry to cut in, Heather, you were going to say something too. That was a perfect answer. I think the last thing we want is just to add, add reports and data reporting that doesn't really take us anywhere. So. Yeah, let's see if, like, how do you want to use it and when we see the data. I think it's just good to see a trend. So I don't know if we need to see it every three months. Uh, I think we will get a, get a sense. But, yeah, we can we can do a first report and see how that goes. That's a suggestion for, for the board to consider. And, again, Heather, when are, again, Heather, when is that report due? Um, so... I'm due to submit information to them by November 15th. That will be the initial time that we have access to see so far this year to date what our health center patients are paying out of pocket. So we've okay. been waiting right now, so now we have the registry, so now we have the ability to see what patients are paying out of pocket, and we'll be reporting for the first time on that to the county for the past 120 days specifically, um, and then we would need to develop a report to, to kind of cover more time than that. But, but we're that's in development right now with an initial submission to the county on the 15th, or by the 15th. I was just gonna say, I think another reason it's prudent to look at the data, uh, that specific data first, is that the registry is really kind of a game changer for us. And so um, I think there's still going to be quite a bit of work, you know, for quite a bit of time, honestly, validating the registry and improving the registry. Um, but even having it, you know, it's, it's advanced so much from the access to data that we had, which would really be produced once a year, 
you know, in whatever way it had to be to produce the UDS report, you know, now to actually have a standing um, registry that tells us who's part of the homeless health center and what are their outcomes and what's happening to them means that um, we'll, we'll now have to pay a lot of attention to what you said, Neha, like, uh, which data do we want to look at? Why? Because it, you know, we could we could now look across anything for any reason, you know, with this with this right. registry. And so, I think, um, you know, we'll want to be thoughtful as a as a co-applicant board about figuring out um, number one, you know, allowing the registry to mature and making sure that it does, so that we actually validate the underlying data and that we continue to improve it and not, not think of it just because it's submitted on 11.15 as being that's the registry and it's done and, and we don't have any more of that work building it to do. I think we still have quite a bit of that to do to get it to where it's as useful as possible. And then to say, okay, how are we using this to look at, to look at data over time and which data do we want to look at over time and over what periods of time? And I appreciate um, that comment about being, being thoughtful about that because I think it will help us be uh, as effective as we can be. Okay, are we good to move on to the next part? And so um, the next part of our program report is around mobile health and the number of clinical encounters and enabling patient encounters that we have for October. You can see that it's at um, 46 clinical encounters and 96 enabling encounters. And you can see that that's a bit of a dip from the month prior. So we're still struggling to see the number of encounters that um, were initially um, projected as our goal for the year each month. I'm in our quality section. Um, the mobile health clinic is working on improving quality through an activity called a PDSA, so Plan, Do, Study, Act. That's the model where we ask questions and make predictions and then propose changes. And specifically, the first PDSA cycle that the clinic worked on was the aim um, was aimed aim to engage patients at safer ground sites with Alameda Health System as their medical home and to support their attendance to um, primary care appointments. Um, and so we're still working with that to see how we can improve engagement with patients. Um, and then also in this section is where I mentioned that the homeless registry um, was initially published and then I referred you back for the details, which I've talked about already, that we do have it published now as of yesterday, and so um, we'll be working with it to, to validate that information. I can say um, a little bit about it. Um, in, within the registry, we have all the patients who are experiencing homelessness at Alameda Health System that's based on either um, a diagnostic code or a problem list of the patient being identified as someone experiencing homelessness or at registration, we've got a homeless checkbox that the um, patient services representatives could have checked, as well as a number of addresses that we determine our service sites. So for example, shelters and the Radisson hotels are included as a, as a screen-in to identify patients experiencing homelessness. Um, the registry, I'm, I'm gonna use really loose numbers because I don't have it in front of me, but it is, um, uh, I want to say roughly 8,000 patients um, within Alameda Health System as people experiencing homelessness. Um, and it, it might be more like 7,000. It's changed a few times as we've updated and improved. 
our, our screening mechanism and our parameters. Um, of those were ambulatory, then we, we, we break that apart to be what is specifically in the ambulatory care section, the part that is our homeless health center. So there was all of Alameda Health System and then our homeless health center, those patients seeing ambulatory care. And on our current report, I say we have somewhere right around um, 2,500 patients from the ambulatory cost centers specifically that have been seen to date. So that's what we're looking at. We think that it's pretty reasonable and reflective of what we see also in places like the annual homeless count for people experiencing homelessness. Um, and we hope to be able to improve that collection of the data specifically at the um, place of the registration where the patient services representatives are having the opportunities to select and identify a patient as homeless. Um, what's great also about the homeless registry is now on the patient chart, uh, clinician can see that the patient is on the homeless registry. And so one of the things that we've been missing in the past is the ability for a clinician to know that the patient is experiencing homelessness if the physician or clinician didn't assign that to them themselves, right? So if a PSR selected that the patient was homeless and the clinician didn't have a chance to talk about that with the patient, they wouldn't have been able to see that. And now they can see through their um, membership on the registry that the patient was identified at some point in the last 365 days as being a person experiencing homelessness. Um, and that means also that the providers and clinicians would have an opportunity to influence their patient being on the registry um, and will be some, providing some guidance to clinicians on how to do so, but essentially by using the problem list or the diagnosis um, within, like I said, 365 days of that visit. Um, the patient would count on the registry. So a patient is included as being on the registry um, if they've been identified and then for 365 days since then. So it's rolling and changing. Um, the registry updates every Sunday night, and so we'll have, we have new numbers every Sunday night as, as patients um, fall out or come into that registry based on what's been happening for them. That's really fantastic. That's great. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, October 21st, when it first published, was a lot of fun, and then it got a lot more fun yesterday when I got <laughs> to really dig in and say, yes, okay, I think these are the right patients, and, okay. and then yeah. I've them. So, so that's fun. I've been, I've been using some of our systems to kind of look in detail um, about where they are and who's seeing them, um, but it's uh, – not all really set in my brain yet, but it will next month. I will just say I'm excited to give you guys some actual, real, homeless health center data. That's awesome. Thank you. So yeah. if you have requests, now is the time to make it. <laughs> all right, moving on to our leadership and advocacy. Um, Heather, can, I, can I say one yeah. more thing? Can I just emphasize one more thing about the registry? I do expect that it will continue to change. You know, as we bring more stakeholders into caring about who's homeless or not, what does it mean to be homeless? Oh, but Hersa, you're saying this person who's housing insecure is homeless. What do I do about that if I'm a clinician? People are gonna start to have opinions about, you know, the work that is being generated or the, even the, the ideas that are being generated by seeing these things in different ways. And I think that's gonna then shape the registry. So. I just don't want us to be alarmed if numbers continue to shift as we, and we'll, and we'll try to narrate like what's happening in the institution as this data is becoming visible and, and available and people are working on it so that you know why the shifts are happening and how they're happening. 
um, but I I um, I want to um, to make sure that uh, we expect that there those shifts are going to happen as as you know we roll this out and clinicians have feedback for us and and you know PSR our patient services representatives have feedback for us and our patients have feedback for us that um, we're gonna you know we're gonna need to to um, to make this for our for our health system and I think previously this has been something that you know Heather's really just done um, amazing work on you know to to generate insights with a lot of ad hoc systems and now I think this puts um, puts us in a position to leverage all the work the amazing work that Heather does to you know as you were saying now like drive a strategy um, and so. I'm just welcoming us to that new new type of work. Yay. <laughs> Thank you. So in our leadership and advocacy section, you'll see that, um, that Damon and I continue to participate within our community on various task forces and leadership meetings with our community partners. Also in October, um, the Hel Homeless Health Center leadership, we submitted our COVID-19 response initiative to this ambulatory leadership for including inclusion in an application for a quality leader award. Um, that award was evaluated by the California Association of Public Hospitals and Health Systems and the California Healthcare Safety Net Institute. We have since found out that we didn't win the award. That's okay. We did get a very nice email back that appreciated our submission and inclusion for our projects. Um, and I think that even having taken the time to write down and think through the process that we went through in response to COVID was a really important um, mechanism for thinking through how we respond and how we may respond again in the future when things happen. Um, also, um, this is a place where you will find out, um, we're learning, that uh, we have a new medical director for Hayward Wellness Center, and so we've included her name here, Dr. Samita Kalra. Um, and this is, I want to remind you all that you have access to this information, these kinds of announcements and updates through your Alameda Health System email. I sent an email out, or rather when you got your board um, packet, uh, Brenda sent an email out to remind you that your Alameda Health System email is, uh, is a valuable resource for you for multiple reasons, including, um, you know, that we have this threat of, uh, uh, or lack of potential lack of security or a threat of, of security breaches. And so we want to be able to use the Alameda Health System email address as much as possible. What also will happen if you don't log in and use your email address or log into the system once a month is it will become deactivated. So I want to encourage you, um, if you have your device that we provided to you, um, you should be more or less ready to go to log into that email. Um, so please do so once a month. And if you're having any trouble with any of the technology, please reach out to us, either to myself or to Brenda, so that we can reestablish your connection um, and so that you can get this information. Uh, we created a distribution list for our leaders to use, which only includes your Alameda Health System email addresses, not your personal addresses. And so Paul or Catherine would be able to include you on things like this, like an announcement of a new medical director or other major um, announcement at Alameda Health System that they would want to include you on, and we want you to be able to get that right away. That is the end of my report. 